0: It's so good for me to get the the privilege of sharing God's word with you today and we're continuing on our series where Jesus speaks for himself and it's amazing how God still uses human people like us to do that but it's my privilege to stand here today. In the last few weeks the first one that Jesus spoke for himself was he says I am the bread of life and then last week was I am the light of the world. And this morning, it's my privilege, in John chapter 10, you could begin turning there in your Bibles if you want to, uh, is I am the door. I am the door. In other words, let me see if I can share a few things, what people are saying about Jesus. People are saying, to be happy and full of joy, Jesus wants you to follow your own heart and to chase your own dreams. But in reality, what Jesus has to say for himself is, I do want you to be happy even more than you do, but you need to follow me. The theme of today's message is our cultural assumption is that the path to happiness and joy is to pursue our own desires, follow our own heart. But Jesus, as we'll see, presents quite a different picture. He said he is the door. He is the one that provides abundant life. Our culture presents religion as an unnecessary constraint to our happiness. You know, there's this, Christian, this community called the Christian community. There's all these rules, and the culture would say, don't let a book or a community tell you what to do or how to live. But Jesus, on the other hand, presents himself as the door into a life of safety and joy. Jesus isn't trying to squelch our potential. But he's there to provide you and I with a life of purpose and meaning. But it all starts with our devotion to Jesus. Have you ever had it, faced struggles and wondered if life was even worth living? Or even if anyone ever noticed you? Don't raise your hand. But in John chapter 9, the entire chapter, all 41 verses, is, is, is someone just like that. The story is about a man born blind having to go around and to beg just for sustenance in order to get some food to buy, to eat. But as Jesus and his disciples walked by, they said, so Jesus, did he sin or his parents sin? There was an enigma that was going around that, you know, if if there was a bad thing that happened to you, it's because of you and your sin. And Jesus said this, neither wasn't his sins and it wasn't the sins of his parents. There's another option, that the glory of God might be revealed. And I think it's also to show us how that God loves the unwanted. The unwanted. On that day, neither the blind man nor the disciples that were with him knew exactly how much his life was about to change that day. For within the next 24 hours, he would experience some of the greatest moments in his life, followed by some of the most discouraging moments, all in the same day. On this day, Jesus chose to heal the blind beggar. You see, how did he do it? It almost sounds a little gross to us, but... <laughs> serious. He spit in the ground, took the dirt, and made it into mud, and he wiped it on his eyes. And he told the blind man, now go wash in the pool of Siloam and be cleansed. And the, the blind man walked, went over and washed and came back seeing. The story in John 9 tells us how the neighbors and friends were astonished. Wow, this, this was the guy that was born blind. And they would begin arguing. No, he's not. I don't think he couldn't possibly be the guy because the guy we know was blind. And whoa, well, they got into this argument. So, how do we solve it? They bring him to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And so the religious Pharisees question this former blind man. And they give him an option, they give him the ability to explain what happened. So he does, talks about Jesus. But they didn't want to believe. They didn't want to believe him or that this miracle was even possible. They didn't want to believe that Jesus could actually heal him, especially on the Sabbath. So these religious leaders did what we as humans do when we encounter a truth that we don't like. We just deny it. They continued grilling this former blind man with questions. I mean... They got to the point where they chased down his mom and his dad. But now his mom and his dad lived in fear. If we speak up at all against the religious Pharisees, they're going to kick us out of the synagogue. So what did they do? Ask our son, he's old enough. Now, when he said he's old enough, we've learned that that means he was at least 13 years old. Probably a teenager, maybe perhaps up to a young adult, and his parents, for fear and intimidation, were willing to kick their son under the bus, so to speak. And so this young man begins to continue to give his response. And then we see in John chapter 9, as they have these little back and forth, it says this in verse 32, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could have done nothing. And the Pharisees responded, you were born and under sin. And would you teach us? And I would like for you to read the next five words with me, would you? And they cast him out. They cast him out. And on that day, you can almost see the look on the man's face face as he heard the door. You know the sound. (laughs) Wow. But then Jesus steps up. In John chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out. He finds him, and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and, and he said, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You read that right in the text. Something about it, once he realized who Jesus was, that he worshipped him. But, of course, the Pharisees were standing around. They had their little comments, and Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who, who see may become blind. There's a lot of transactions taking place, but one thing's for sure. Based on customs of the day and the Jewish people, this former blind man was taught to respect his religious, those in religious authority because they were representing God to the people. But now that this young man is actually removed from the synagogue and the community that the synagogue represented, I can only imagine a thought going through his mind, something like this. That's the only community I've ever known. Is it even possible for me to have a life of purpose and meaning as I move forward? And now we come up to chapter 10. That just happened. And Jesus is standing there, and you know there's always these 12 guys that kept following him, right? Listening to all that he said. And then over on the side, you've got the religious people with all of their, they're all attentive because they don't like Jesus to begin with. And Jesus says this, while the blind man is there, or the healed blind man, he uses this as a teaching moment. So what he's going to do is he's going to tell a story about a shepherd, a door, and some sheep. It's hard to separate these three things. You know, I'm trying to just talk about the door, but they're so intertwined. Next week is about the good shepherd, but you'll hear me talk a little bit about it, but I'm trying to stick with the door. I'm trying, but they're like welded together, these three. Um, so we'll see in the story here, this teaching moment, because in the Jewish mind, a shepherd was any leader, whether it was religious or political. That's how they viewed the shepherd. And But Jesus, in his story, he was going to contrast the way he leads and loves and cares for his people and his community versus the way that others do. So as we pick it up in John chapter 10, you probably have your Bibles with you, but in case you forgot, I'll have them on the screen for you, just in case. We're going to read the first six verses. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens the door. As verse 6 says, it describes it as a figure of speech and not a parable. Because parables pretty much teach us one or two points. But the figure of speech, there will be multiple metaphors that will teach us different lessons throughout this story. Basically, each night the shepherd would lead the sheep into a safe place. Sometimes it was a cave or an enclosure with walls that were high enough to keep out the intruders, as this picture you're going to see. Give you an idea. Many times, a shepherd would actually just lay in that doorway all night and would watch over the sheep. The shepherd's presence, just being there, provided a place of safety so the sheep could just do all those Z's that we do, you know. They could just rest and sleep. But there were some families that had means. And it wasn't always a shepherd. Even Jesus talks about it, the gatekeeper. They could hire a porter or a gatekeeper to stand at the door and to watch the sheep all night. And then in the morning, the shepherd would go up. If he was at the door, if he was laying there, he'd just get up. But if he was walking to the door, he'd come up, and there would been a, maybe a special knock or a special signal. And the gatekeeper would let him in. Then he would speak to his sheep. And the sheep knew his voice, and they would follow him out. That's the story that Jesus used. Jesus states that the real leader, he comes by the way of the door, and he invites the sheep to follow him. The intruders climb over the walls. They come in some other way, and they compel, you're going to follow me. It's a totally different way of doing it. We can see here in this story that Jesus is going to call himself the door. In other words, he's the exclusive passageway into a a relationship with God. We'll see the phrase the door, excuse me, door used four times. Some in verse 3, verse 4, and also verse 8 and 9 where he he refers to himself exclusively as I am the door. But in this first passage, this first scriptures that we've just read, I think you're going to see how God reveals how he creates his flock. We see this in the fact that people come to Jesus because he calls them. He calls them. And they follow him because (laughs) they know his voice. Perhaps you're here today and you've heard that voice where Jesus says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But many that day, including the religious leaders, heard the actual voice of Jesus but instead of coming they chose to ignore it instead of coming and getting help and rest they walked away they considered the voice of Moses Abraham or even one of the local rabbis of the day to be actually be more trustworthy than the voice of Jesus And after God calls his own sheep by name, he he leads them with his voice. I'm reminded of the importance that God's words are his primary way of leading us. They're his primary way. Now it makes more sense when the psalmist David would say, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. God's family regularly spends time reading God's word. That way, they understand how to best follow Him throughout the week and throughout the day. And it also allows us time to discern the voice of strangers and of doctrines that try to mislead them. I mean, I've seen some of this firsthand. Um, I don't know if I should tell this or not, but I will. I'm not a shepherd like by a real farmer kind of shepherd. But one time my wife and I, we, I, was in, I was on Easter in my, a former ministry. I said, I want to bring a little lamb. And so I called up farmers, you know, how, where do you look for lamb? I don't know, just phone book. and They had phone books back then. <laughs> this was probably 20 years ago. And so I went to this farmer and he, he gave me this lamb. Well, I was expecting a lamb. And he gave me a sheep. Must have been 40 pounds, I don't know, big sheep. And so we put this in the back of the truck with a cap on it and it shut the tailgate and everything. I got home. You know, I had two bales of straw and I thought we're going we're gonna to go all out. And so I get home and flip the door open and the tailgate and then flip the tailgate down And this sheep. And once I pushed the straw, he, he came to the back tailgate and then he jumped out of the truck and took off. <laughs> he got about from me to my wife. And turned sideways. Broadside and just looked at me. Well, I grew up in a country, but we didn't have sheep, so what'd you do? I hear sheep, sheep. <laughs> you can laugh, but I did. I was like, well, what do you do? And I hear sheep. And the sheep looked at me and he looked, and he took off. And I thought, I'm borrowing this sheep. I lived on Route 20. And so We were chasing this sheep in my backyard. They put it in a new sewer line so the trees were gone. And I'm I'm running after a sheep. Because I said, this sheep is not going to die on my watch. And I'm running. My son's running with me, one of my sons. And and we're running down. And the sheep turns right. And next thing you know what, he is literally on Route 20 on the center line of the road. Cars are coming. Oh, No. And I'm chasing the sheep, cars are stopping. I pin the sheep up against this fence in this place right on Salt Creek in 20. There's a, he does custom cleaning on cars. You say, how would you get him home? Well, it was about a quarter of a mile from home probably. But grabbed him. I said, you, you know, I didn't have a leash. It's a sheep. <laughs> I didn't know. And so I carry this thing home. The moral of the story is the sheep didn't know and understand the voice of a stranger. And it was a lesson for me that day I needed to learn. God's sheep know his voice. And when he speaks, they follow him. Let's continue the story here. And Jesus in this story is actually comparing the Sadducees and the Pharisees that were there to the thief and the robber. Now, does that take guts or what? Because, you know, a thief uses deception and trickery to gain control of someone's stuff. A thief, you just don't know he's there. He comes when you don't expect it, right? But now a robber, he's willing to use force if need be to get control of something. And in this case, they were trying to get control of God's people. They've not come to feed and care for God's flock, but to use their influence to control them. They were using fear and intimidation. These religious leaders were in, uh, to accomplish their own ambitions back then and, their, and perhaps increase their wealth, increase their power, increase their prestige. Let me give you an example. Rather than the Pharisees being excited about this young blind man being healed, they actually were willing to treat him harshly and remove him from the synagogue. They claimed the status of a shepherd, but it wasn't by God's appointment They gain that leadership, many of them, somehow by some other way. But God's leaders are called by God. They're led by his spirit, and they teach and they follow Christ's teaching. God's shepherds understand it's not their church. The church actually belongs to Christ, and it's our responsibility to follow him because he's the head of the church. But we do know that God expects his leaders to lead and to feed his flock. It's customary, and from what I read, and even in the story here, for shepherds to actually give names to their shop, their sheep. Perhaps that's Jesus' way of saying it's important for us to get to know each other, to understand one another and the needs that all of us have. But confronting bad shepherds isn't anything new. You actually read about some of this in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read it quickly in Ezekiel 34. You'll see it on the screen. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. And then just a few verses later, God shares his solution. Verses 14. I will, f- I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on the rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Jesus is already foretelling that he is coming to be that good shepherd. We also see that Jesus is providing himself as our only way of salvation in John chapter 10. And his way of salvation, it includes safety, but also provisions. It's not an either and or it's, it's, it's either or, it's both and. Jesus isn't just about providing you with eternal security, although he will do that. And when you come to Christ, that will happen. But he also cares for you the here and now. Look at verse 7 with me, if you would. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. We see in that passage, even that last verse, when Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus actually uses the word saved. How important it is, rescued, that you will be delivered from the things that you have been carrying for so much of your life. The best way I can describe that is some of you have been carrying the backpack of guilt and shame. You have been carrying the weight of your sins on your life for so long. You've walked through one of these eight doors. You've heard and heard and heard and heard about Jesus. Perhaps your your spouse is continually reading God's word, but you've just chosen not to. And you just don't have that desire. and And you just keep coming thinking, if you sit close enough to this person, that you too Will end up going to heaven and through this door that Jesus is referring to. But my understanding of the scriptures is it's only wide enough for one person to come at a time. You will have to make that choice. If Jesus could actually heal a blind man and perform a miracle like that, do you think it's possible that he could forgive you of every sin? that you've ever done so that you could freely walk through that door as well. I think he can. I know he can. And then what Jesus said is they will, they will be saved and they will go in and out and find, the word is pasture. That word meaning pasture, place to find feeding, to growth, the sustenance that allows you to continue to grow. In other words, it's the shepherd's responsibility once you've come to him to take care of you. You don't need to be God. That's his job. You're to follow his voice and let him lead us where he wants us to go. When I was looking at a few similarities, because Jesus calls himself a door, so I'm going to Compare a door with Jesus, just real quickly on a few of these. A door has an exclusive use and is placed in an area that is set apart for it. Jesus is set apart by God the Father as our only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Doors are a necessity to keep us safe and allow us to rest. Jesus provides himself as our protector, and he is necessary for us to find love, joy, and rest. Doors create a point of entrance into a dwelling place. It's Jesus' duty and his responsibility to discern all true believers before they're given entrance into his eternal inheritance. This access can only be granted through Jesus because Jesus purchased it with his own blood when he died on the cross in your place. And when you come to Christ, your eternal inheritance, it begins that exact moment that Jesus gives you entrance. See, what does that mean? When Jesus was on the cross and had two thieves on either side of him and one just kept cussing all the time and this one finally said, he humbled himself and said, Lord, would you remember me? And on that very day, Jesus gained him access to eternal life. That's his right. That's his right. So for a Christian, eternal life begins that very moment And Jesus, if you reap some of those benefits, it's knowing that Jesus walks with you moment by moment in a relationship. And you can embrace his help every moment of every day, 24-7. Also, we see a door. When you enter this way, it gives you legal access to the property. But Jesus, in John 14, says he is the only way to have access to the kingdom of God. A door, it grants you access to the best places inside. You know, like the couch, the TV, and the refrigerator. Right? And Jesus grants a person access to the throne of God where you can find grace and mercy and help in time of need. Entering through the door allows you to experience the privileges of living in that house. Entering through Jesus means that his sinless righteousness is imputed or applied, covers all of your sins, your past, present, and your future sins. And you're completely forgiven. You're given a name and you're invited into God's forever family and his familial love will be on you the rest of your days. And then last, we see in verse 10, the life that Jesus gives includes community, meaningful purpose, and abundant life. It includes community, meaningful purpose, and abundant life. We see in verse 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That word they is used in verses 4 and 5 as well. The word them is used in verse 3 and 4. That's this community that Jesus invites you into. Yeah, you might be in a a different league or some other group or organization in, 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 in this world. But Jesus is inviting you into his community. It's unlike any other community, but he's inviting you. And in his abundant life, it includes sp- eternal spiritual life, but that's not it, that's not all. It also includes the best quality of life even now. Jesus didn't come just to add more sheep to his fold, but to impart a life that flourishes and enjoys the blessings of God. They find contentment and true joy in him. Jesus is more concerned than just providing you with the basic essentials. He wants you to live a life that is blessed. Jesus isn't just concerned about delivering you and I from hell. He wants you to have his peace and his joy here and now. He knows you'll find your purpose, but it's only going to be when you follow him and your life will confirm to others that walking with your God is really worth it. Jesus also comes to give us life and to have it abundantly, but the only way to enter the fold is through Jesus. Salvation and the abundant life can only be found in him. Jesus isn't a killjoy. He's the promised Savior that was foretold in the the Old Testament keeps talking about. Now he's come just as he promised to fulfill his rightful position as the door or the Savior. But he's the only way that you and I will ever enter that fold. To illustrate, my wife and I, we enjoy a certain store. It's called Costco. Anybody with me? Okay, there's several of us. I don't know what it is about that store. But when you get out of your vehicle, you have to do something on your way to the store. You either got to reach into your wallet and and grab a card. I don't have my phone on, I took it off in case one of you called me. (laughs) And you can show it on your phone. But at the door is standing a a sales representative asking, making sure that you are the rightful person to be able to come into the store. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. Well, let me ask you. Jesus said he's the door and no one comes in except through him. If Costco can do that and keep people out, Why would we think that Jesus couldn't do a better job than Costco? Before you fly in an airplane, you've got to go through those metal detectors, and they look for things that you're not supposed to have on the plane. God gave them the knowledge to discern how to do that. Why would we think that a pure, holy, omniscient God can't see through the phoniness of our heart to not know who's being for real and who's not. Who's not coming and humble themselves before God and who comes with a a, a thing of pride and says, it's about what I've done. I don't even need Jesus, but I'm going to come through the door. And Jesus says, I don't think so. If you think the Costco guy is going to keep you out, if you think the TSA agent is going to keep you out, don't get fooled. You're not going to fool Jesus. He died for you. If you don't want to accept that, that's your choice. But he already did the hard stuff. And he's inviting you to join him. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we we thank you that your words about reminding about the door and that exclusivity of through you I pray, Lord, that there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, that even now by faith they would open their heart and just humble themselves to you and cry out to be saved. But, Father, I also pray that there's a Christian that's here that's not enjoying those benefits that come with being part of the family of God, that today they would be reminded of how good and gracious you are and you want to walk with them and lead them like a good shepherd in and out to find pasture. Help them to lean on you. And Father, we'll thank you for this. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.